Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup to nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you are not hearing the fire engine blasting outside of my apartment right now. I hope that I hope everyone's okay. I hope you guys are okay. What's going on? How are you? What's happening? How are we feeling? <laughs> I'm so excited to welcome you back for another episode of On the Side. Today is with just the most fabulous person. I feel like fabulous is actually the best possible word to use. And you will honestly know why I am using that word just when you hear the beginning of the episode about breakfast. Today's interview was with Lee Schrager, who is one of the most renowned event planners and media relations experts in food and wine. Honestly, he's like the ultimate industry OG. He's a pro who is friends with everyone, literally friends with everyone, champions of basically everyone you've ever heard of in food and wine, and currently serves as the senior vice president of communications and corporate social responsibility at Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. He's also, and perhaps more infamously, the creator of the Food Network and Cooking Channel South Beach Wine and Food Festival and New York City Wine and Food Festival, both massive celebrations, tastings, events of all things eating and drinking. This is, if you guys have not had the chance to check out one of these incredible days-long events in either New York or Miami, I would highly recommend them. But I will also say that if you can't make it to any of these events, then this episode will serve as a little bit of a teaser for what a menu in Lee's life looks like, essentially. It's really, it's really so much fun and so celebratory. So more, a little bit more about Lee, and then we will just dive right in. Both the New York City Wine and Food Festival and the South Beach Wine and Food Festival raise funds for God's Love We Deliver and the Food Bank for New York City, which uh, support those affected by food insecurity. And in Florida, the emphasis is placed on supporting future leaders of the food, beverage, and hospitality industry through FIU's School of Hospitality and Tourism Management. Lee is the author of three cookbooks, Food Network South Beach Wine and Food Festival Cookbook, Fried and True, More Than 50 Recipes for America's Best Fried Chicken Insides. This is so much fun, I can't even tell you. And America's Best Breakfasts, favorite local recipes from coast to coast. These are all linked in the show notes, so I highly encourage checking them out. And you, you will hear in the episode, we actually have two copies of America's Best Breakfast Breakfast. 
best breakfasts. Wow, hard to say. Um, but we have two copies of this book in my apartment right now. If you love travel, restaurants, food, this episode is like a global tasting menu for your ears. We get into what it's like to travel the country in search of the perfect bite and what you need to do to get the best of the best when it comes to fried chicken. Really interesting tips. And we also deep dived on pandemic food trends, which ones are here to stay, which ones are here forever seemingly, and we wish they would disappear. Um, but really the highlight for me was Lee sharing some details from the reemergence from lockdown version of South Beach Wine and Food, which he celebrated with Martha Stewart, just casual, and the chain smokers. I probably don't even need to say more than that, but it was catered by Popeyes. So if you were confused as to whether or not Lee is an absolute blast to be around, listen to, hear from, yes, this event was Martha Stewart, chain smokers, and Popeyes. <laughs> I am hungry just writing the the notes for this episode and saying them out loud. So I'm going to let you guys enjoy the episode and I'm going to go search for a gluten-free coconut cake. All right. Enjoy. But first, let's get to a quick listener question. Okay, today's question is, what do you think about these meat replacement products like Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat? Great question. I honestly can't stand the, <laughs> these products. Does that sound really negative? It might. But here's the thing, guys. I mean, first of all, when you look at the nutrient profile of each of these products kind of side by side when, you, when you're when you comparing them with beef, honestly, the nutrient composition overall of the more wholesome red meat product is automatically going to be better for you than some of these meat analogs. Things like Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat, these are often going to be, it, it's essentially like taking the world's greatest gift in the form of a soybean, right? A source of naturally occurring plant-based protein and fiber and antioxidants and creating something new. So therefore, for that to get from the factory to the supermarket into your home, it's got to be pretty highly processed and it's susceptible to being loaded with sodium, with saturated fat. The bigger downside of of the Impossible Burger more specifically, it's got two grams, it's two grams higher in saturated fat. And that's likely because of the coconut oil that's being added into the ingredients. Coconut oil has the highest saturated fat content of any plant-based oil, despite its health halo, although I think we're kind of moving away from that more recently. Impossible Burger also has a lot more sodium. <laughs> it's about 15% of your recommended daily intake compared to 4% that you're gonna find in ground beef. And that really kind of brings it home right there because most often when you're in control of the other ingredients that go into your food, that's the best position for you to be in, right? From both the health standpoint, but also from the learning about and understanding what goes into the food that you eat and the ingredients that you choose and how you put together meals that feel both satisfying and nourishing and are delicious and tasty, right? So definitely I'd say go with the red meat over a meat analog or like one of these plant-based meat alternatives when you're choosing between the two. However, if you are looking for, you know, incorporating a more plant-based, more holistically plant-based meal snack routine into your everyday lifestyle, then absolutely, I would say you want to go with the real wholesome sources of plant-based protein. It really doesn't get much better than pulses. Pulses are the dry edible seeds of peas, beans, chickpeas, and lentils. And what I love most about these foods is their complete and utter versatility. <laughs> Honestly, I, I find myself recommending different forms of these foods all 
the time. But what's really amazing about this specific ingredient, guys, is that they are nutrient-packed, right? You're, you're getting protein and fiber all in one place. They have zero grams, maybe half a gram, depending on the type of saturated fat. But usually it's it's a pretty solid zero across the board. You're getting B vitamins, antioxidants, indigestible carbs that help to slow down the rate of digestion and absorption within your GI tract and can help reduce risk of heart disease. I would I cannot tell you how how sort of underrated this group of foods actually are. Um, soybeans, you know, you're going to get up to 13 grams of protein, 7 grams of fiber for a serving. I mean, easily one of the most well-researched and well-substantiated foods for decreasing risk of chronic disease. Swapping red meat in just one meal a week for soybean-based protein like tofu or edamame can reduce risk of heart disease. So I think it's really important to focus on real food more often and where your food is coming from. And then you be in the driver's seat when it comes to making the ingredient choices and the flavor choices that help to amplify the flavor profile of what you're eating and help you include these foods in your repertoire more often. All right. I hope that answers your question. As always, you can reach me at Jacqueline London RD on Instagram. Let us get back to the episode. Lee Schrager, welcome to On The Side. Thank you for being here. It is good to see you, Jackie, and great to be chatting with you. I'm so excited about this. I mean, we, listen, Lee, I was going to, we have a number of topics we need to cover today, but the biggest one, let's start, let's start at the very beginning, which is, let's, let's go through a typical day in the life of Lee Schrager. Where are you? What are you eating? Let's start with breakfast. Well, I, a typical day. I don't know that there is a I typical know. day. Uh, That's a tough one. <laughs> you know, for someone who wrote a really best-selling breakfast cookbook called, uh, I'm not plugging my book. It was America's Best <laughs> Breakfast. I'm not plugging it by any means. Lee, uh, I, was about, I'm, I have a question teed up. It's my next question <laughs> for you is about this book. So, so we're going to um, get there. You know, I love breakfast, but the only time that I eat breakfast, for whatever reason, is on vacation Ooh, or great. when I'm traveling. Like, Ah, you know, I, I normally leave the house by eight o'clock every morning. I'm in the office by, you know, eight twenty, eight thirty. Um, I have a, a coffee or a chai and that's it. It holds me over to lunch. Mm. I know the importance of having breakfast. Uh, unfortunately when I have breakfast, I'm never eating the right things. So rather than <laughs> giving you energy for the day, I'm kind of eating, you know, like the wrong things. So I tend to have more energy when I don't eat breakfast. I, I really more often than not have breakfast for dinner, which I talk Ooh. about in my book, but you know, I, I, I guess, you know, a typical day for me, I, I train three days a week. I tr I have a trainer, uh, Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays who comes to my house at 6.30 a.m. for an hour. We train. On those days, I do have some type of shake. Uh, and then I just go, you know, for lunch and dinner. Uh, you just go straight through. I, I, I have to say, I, I don't, I never miss a dinner, but I miss lots of breakfasts and lunches. And that's probably has a lot to do with why my weight is always all over the place. I'm not a great eater. I know that if I had a set breakfast and a set lunch and a dinner, that I would be much better. And when I file, file, uh, follow a diet plan, oftentimes I do these diets where they deliver food and they mm. give you prepackaged food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which seems strange that I would do that and spend my money when I'm a chef and have a housekeeper who could cook, but I do those, I lose weight when I, when there's portion control. No, there's something I, you know, but there's also something about the lack of 
thought or choice, which is not necessarily um, the most joyful lifestyle, but it do, but but to your point, I mean, it, it does give that kind of routine that just bakes everything in and makes it so that you don't have to think twice. Well, and, that's it. You know, sometimes that's magical. So here's my big question on the topic of breakfast, because I think we got to really go into some vacation breakfasting. First of all, is there really anything better than a hotel breakfast buffet? I mean, not really, right? Like, what about an omelet station? Well, I would disagree with you. So okay. Matt, oh, because good. I okay. started my career as a manager of a breakfast restaurant in a hotel. And, uh, uh, and it was, <laughs> it was a family terrible. restaurant. So it was the same restaurant that served breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So that smell of breakfast was yeah. there that whole day. You know, that smell of an omelet station with I that do. butter. I, I, I am just, imagining it as you speak. Yeah, yes. You that's know, not a it, pretty it smell. It never <laughs> leaves the carpeting or the curtains in a room. You can walk in at seven o'clock at night and know that, you know, that there was an omelet station here and someone was having scrambled oh. egg, bacon and cheese, and someone was having blueberry pancakes. It You're really, so right. Um, but I, I have to tell you, I do love in Europe, you know, when we travel, their breakfasts are so much better. Their breakfast buffets. We go to a property in Italy, in Porto Ercole. It's the property is called Il Pelicano. They have the best breakfast, but you know they do. Sh- they have a shake station, and you don't smell. It doesn't smell of eggs wow. in the room, and they're carving fresh hams, and they have all these great cheeses, and their croissants are all fresh and warm, and they have wonderful bombolinos, and then they have bars of like fresh chocolate that you shave, hazelnut chocolate. It's I, I dream of that, and it's, it's such a crazy opulent breakfast. But I love, love, love going to Pelicano I... just for their breakfast. That is. First of all, that's the ultimate pro tip. I mean, right there, right there, people. Il Pelicano, the ultimate in in Porto Ercole. That, I mean, that hotel is so renowned and I feel like I've heard of it so much, but the one thing I've never heard about is the breakfast. This is why you're here, Lee. The best (laughs) This is why we need you. And I will tell you, it's included in your room, so you don't feel so bad spending $1,800 a night for a room because you get breakfast in Europe would cost you 100 euros a person, so it's kind of, yeah. And you feel like- The shaved chocolate. Oh Oh my God. They're blocks of chocolate, like, you know, two feet big in hazelnuts and white chocolate and you they thinly slice it they're delicious and i do picture this as heaven like i would say that if if someone were to say to me what does heaven look like to you it would be a breakfast a glorious glamorous indulgent excessive breakfast buffet where chocolate different types of chocolates are shaved onto different it, types it's just of fantastic <laughs> of course i'm probably the only one who ever eats a chocolate it's like eating a nutella bar on so on this note, let us let us just go down the road of breakfast for a month. That although I do think we will need to talk about fried chicken soon, but let's talk about. So you just said you were traveling recently. Where were you? What what were you doing? Where were you? Um, how was we it? were in the Hamptons for six weeks? I was out there from the end of July, middle of July, till two days ago. I just got home to Miami. Oh, fantastic! Um, that was uh, and then. Uh, for three weeks before that, I was in Greece. So we were, you know, it's really, I'm just back in Miami for the first wow. time since June. So it's uh, nice to be home. And was Greece for work or for fun? Vacation. It was really fantastic. fantastic. And uh, Where'd you go? We, we stayed with friends in Mykonos. And then oh. we traveled with them to another island called uh, Amargos. 
And then by ourselves, we went on to Milos. So we had three great islands in you know, three weeks, like a week in every island. It was fantastic. Lee, this is a great trip. <laughs> I take it back when I when I say I picture heaven. I picture heaven as the breakfast at Il Pelicano, but on a moving boat around the Greek island. Well, that would be yes, yes. <laughs> moving, having a boat, you know, being in the Riviera or the Mediterranean, I think there's nothing. Wow. Better that. So, what were any any specific food gems or or specific moments where specific meals that really stand out uh, from the trip? I, I, you know, it, Greece is not really about breakfast. They have lots. They have lots of salads. Um, our friends are good cooks, so they they tended to do uh, you know more you know eggy type dishes. But you know, when we're staying in simple properties, which a lot of the Greece is, you know, we're not staying uh, at a mon style hotels in these outer islands. Right. You know, their breakfast is a coffee and toast, which is a toast. When you say toast to them. It's toast. It's like a sandwich, like a panini with ham and cheese. Right. And that, right. You know, it, it's fantastic. And fresh orange juice, a coffee, a toast, and it's like a dollar. Uh, it's glorious. Okay, but what about some other? What about some other meals? So there. So you said your friends were cooking. So what? What was like a? So you when you were traveling, you were staying with them, and and Three. I would imagine there was yeah. a couple of dinners out and meals. Every dinner, yeah, we, we, yeah, every okay. dinner. You know, first of all, our routine in Greece is we kind of get up at 10, 1030, which for me is like, you know, I'm normally up at 536, but right. know, nice to sleep. That's fantastic. Breakfast oh. would be waiting and, the, you know, and then, you know, every day we go to a different beach club. So, you know, what, the, you know, Greece has all these fabulous beach clubs. So yeah. one day you go to Jackie O, then that's next day you go to Principote. Uh, all these different beach clubs and every beach club is a big scene and, you know, great music out there and, you know, great uh, service. And then you have a great lunch around three thirty four. Then you hang out at the beach till around six. Then you go home and yeah. kind of lay it at the pool, take a shower and go out to dinner around eight thirty nine o'clock. Yeah. I, I love a late life. dinner. Yep. I really could get used to that life, but I really, there's some, I mean, you know. On I vacation. Think- on vacation, yeah. Yes, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's that anxiety that creeps in once you have spent a little too long. Like, you know it's over when you right. start feeling that, like, oh, I feel so anxious and I don't know why. Oh, it's because yeah. I really need to get back to some stuff. You yeah. know, like, there's that, that always that kind of yeah. in the back of your mind or at least towards the end. What I love about, what I love, there's so many things to love about Greece, just generally speaking. But um, the last time that I was there was for an olive oil Fam tour. Trip, right? like a, uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> it, was, it was the world tour of olive oil, but in Greece. And it it was primarily in Crete. So, it, so this was just a couple of years ago. It was fantastic. Although we did get to spend some time in Athens, but the greatest thing was the experience of tasting olive oil as if it were like wine tasting. So in different wine glasses, and it was um, tasting different types from different regions and talking about you know, all of the different ways to use different types of olive oil. So, all right. So let's go back to the Hamptons for a second. Any food highlights, culinary moments, things to write home about? What's new in the East End of Long Island? (laughs) What's Uh, happening? You know, we have a lot of friends in the Hamptons. So some of our favorite meals were at friends. You know, most of my friends like Alex Garnaschelli and Bobby Flay and Katie Lee 
are, you know, all great chefs. So we, we're, we're at that, you know, we're at Alex Garnaschelli lives a block away from us. So we're over her house Fantastic. at least once and a half, one and a half times a week for uh, a lunch or dinner. And we go to Bobby's for lunch and Katie, we hang out with, uh, and I cook a lot in the Hamptons. So this is like a food, this is a, this is a true food tour almost like when just within a block, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, a I don't, block yes, radius. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It, I don't have to go far. And of course, you know, the Hamptons has all these great, have all these great markets, you know, vegetables. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I did corn in every style. I did corn fritters, corn souffle, corn hash. Uh, <laughs> everything I prepared had corn yes. in it. You're going to have to, when you get back up here, you're going to have to come over because we, although it might not be quite, we might not. I mean, there's nothing like a good late August corn. Oh my God. I want to take have, it home. <laughs> I would say, I, I literally, the other day, I was like, am I using this corn as an under eye yeah, concealer? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, what else can I use the corn to do does corn does corn go to the moon maybe you can ride a corn stock to the moon like (laughs) yeah i love the corn i love the corn and the peaches so we were making peach cobblers peach gratins peach betty pot whatever oh yeah peach and corn were our main staples of the summer our two food groups were peach and corn I really look forward to that so much, even though I also associate it with end of summer. Yeah, of course, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I, and I hate the end of the summer because yeah. I just want it to last. But, like but those, because it's like the one yeah. sort of exactly, right. exactly. So when you, but but by the way, I mean, I feel like, and I, and I know that you are friends with these incredible, these incredible <laughs> chefs, incredibly talented chefs. But is there ever any like? What, like you walk in and is there ever any moment where where someone says to you, you know, I tried this new recipe and it's been a massive fail or like, sure, <laughs> or like yeah. oh, the, I just burnt, you know, this X, Y, Z chicken or salmon or whatever it <laughs> yeah. is. I mean, okay. we're not saving lives. We're cooking. Okay. You know, um, so it's not, a, it's not a big deal. Um, you I know, would argue it is saving yeah. lives in, in a different way. But yes. You know, every summer there's like a recipe of the summer. Last yes. year it was Melissa Clark's blueberry bunt cake that was like on the cover Ooh. of the New York Times. And I, yes. I, I made that all summer long. Uh, okay. This, this summer, Jake Cohn, uh, who's a great uh, Instagrammer, used to work, work with Eater in New York. Okay. He had a uh, a peach upside down cake that kind of was going all around. And every food he had it on their uh, their feed. And I made them oh. endless times. So that was wow. Really Wow, that's so exciting. Okay, I, I'm definitely, and we're definitely going to link to that recipe because I feel like that's such an exciting one and such a novel. I love a good upside down cake. This I mean, why not? It was so easy and so delicious. It's the whole thing, you know, with baking, the whole thing is not even an hour. It was great. Do you bake, Lee? Are you a, would you call yourself a baking connoisseur? Not at all. No. Okay. No, I, I, no I, <laughs> I, I bake in the Hamptons because I have the time. Right. Uh, I don't like baking because it's very precise. I like to look at yes, a recipe. Same. Yeah. I, I like to look at a recipe and make it my own. But with baking, if you don't measure out the half a teaspoon of this and the quarter tablespoon of salt and the baking powder, and uh, then know. you don't have that certain flour and you have to upscale, you, know, you have to Google how you turn self-rising flour into a, a bleach <laughs> flour. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> I will. I have to admit, I I think that that is probably in my recent Google search history. Um, what about during the pandemic? Were there, were there any, you know, new recipes, foods that you started to try anything during quarantine that became a, more of a mainstay or was this more of a fleeting, no, you know, I cooked let's a just lot. see what we can cobble? Yeah, no, I okay. cooked a lot during the pandemic. You know, the first six months we were, we were really good. We were at home. I mean, we joined all these clubs like where you had fresh produce dropped off oh. every week and we had 
people delivering, you know, fresh chickens for us that were, you know, from the farm uh, out south. I cooked and, you know, we have a pizza oven in our home uh, and a great outdoor kitchen. So we did a lot of barbecuing, did a lot of things in the pizza oven. You know, there were really good times. And I also gained you know, like the COVID-19, you know, because you were home every night and you didn't have an exercise, you didn't exercise. So it was kind of a, right. a perfect excuse. It really is interesting. It's also interesting that for you, I feel like to to have a moment where a moment in time, like a prolonged moment in time where you are solely focused on cooking versus, I mean, because the rest of the time, I would say, Mo- I mean, your entire career is based around dining out or experiencing food events, food, or or really being the ultimate producer of the ultimate food event. So that's got to be a massive shift, right? I mean, first of all, that that just generally speaking. And then, I mean, has there is there anything that has just sort of like done a complete 180 that has stuck with you in, in a food sense? No, no, no. I, I, you know what? I, I have to tell you. I, I was really tired of cooking and I was tired of taking yeah. out um, right. as soon as I could say, as soon as I was fully vaccinated and could safely go out, I did. Um, okay. And where did you go? What was your first meal out? Well, what a great question. My first meal out. Um, I, I'm sure it was Italian. I can't tell you that what, where it was, but you know, we have a few favorite Italian restaurants, uh, local restaurants. I'm sure it had to be one of them. I should have remembered oh. my first meal out. No, I yeah. know. I you know now I'm thinking about it, and I can tell you where I'm sure it probably was, yeah. which is Cafe Cafe Luxembourg right, here right, right. On, yeah. on the the old staple here. Right. But what what are about some of the Italian restaurants? What are what are those, and and what are you loving? Well, in, 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 we live in the Gables, which is South Miami. So we live in Coral Gables, and it's you know it's Coconut Grove and Coral Gables is the same area, and yeah. they're so great restaurants. There's a great restaurant in Coconut Grove called Borde de Mare a great Italian restaurant in Coral Gables, which is called Porto Soleil. Another great wow. restaurant called Zucca. Oh, and Zucca. The, I feel like I've read a lot. Yeah, about. And another restaurant yeah. called Luca. So Luca, Luca. Zucca, Porto Soleil. Yeah, we don't starve. <laughs> I have to tell you, we have great food in Miami. <laughs> wow, that sounds fantastic. The one thing that is really pronounced in, in Manhattan right now that I, I think is interesting is that, you know, I'm looking outside right now and I'm seeing you know, what you have to look forward to next week, Lee, <laughs> is, that, is packed 72nd Street. You know, like it's, it's things are moving. Like oh, yeah. there's lots of movement. There's lots of people. There's lots of tourism happening, but there's not the return of the business lunch is a topic that I feel conflict. Like, is that coming? I mean, to me in, in the industries that I've sort of, oh, yeah. you know, worked in, I felt like there have been a lot of moments where there might be, we might do a breakfast or we might do a happy hour or a sort of like a midday, you know, coffee has been a lot, be, has just right. become a lot more popular in, in recent years. Just because I feel like the idea of taking a couple hours in the middle of the day, you know, can be daunting for a lot of people. But in your industry, I feel like the the business lunch was like, was at, at the very least, especially when traveling, right? I mean, I would imagine, and certainly in Europe, like there's, right. there's definitely more of a focus on a business lunch. What do you think? Do you think that's, do you think that has a future? Yeah. I, I think as people go back to the office, you know, I, I yeah. think had things been differently and the variant, you know, hadn't, you know, struck us, you know, Delta, I think that people would have been back in their offices after Labor Day. I know a lot of people who had planned on it, you, you know, but again, if people aren't in their offices, there's right. no point these restaurants are being open for lunch. If there's lunch restaurants, um, you know, downtown in the financial district, you know, dinners have certainly come back, but I, you know, in a lot of restaurants, but I think lunch is going to take a while uh, to come back. Yeah. 
So is there anywhere that you haven't been able to go as a result of the pandemic that you are dying to try food-wise? Is there a wine region that you must get to immediately? Uh, I think there are probably two things I'm looking forward to. A, they just opened up a fabulous boutique hotel in Versailles, literally in Versailles. And I'm invited there in October. Our friend of mine handles the PR for them. So I'm praying. And Alain Ducasse has a restaurant there. And you literally... Uh, have access to Versailles after hours in the morning. You can go for private tea in rooms that are not open to the public. And if you Google Versailles, you know, hotel, it, I think it's an LOV property, love property. Wow. You know, it, it's, it's supposed to be amazing. So we're supposed to go in October, late October. So I'm hoping to get there. I'm really looking forward to that. And we've not That's been to fantastic. Daniel Balloud's new restaurant in New York City, Le Pavillon. Oh. Uh, I've been in and out of New York only for a day or so yes. uh, while we're working in the apartments. So we haven't, I, but I, I hopefully in a few weeks when we go up and move in, I'm going to, we're going to go to the Pavillon for sure. It is I heard. phenomenal. Yeah, I've heard. And it, the experience of being there is like, Oh, yeah. I forgot that this is what it's supposed to. This no. is really, this is the ultimate. I right? Like if you, I can fit into a suit and jacket, I'm going. Right. <laughs> It was, I actually think that that might've been our first and it was, um, my sister and I have birthdays that, uh, are sort of back to back and we had just, it had just opened and my mom made a move that was truly epic of her to just sneak in there with the reservation at the, you know, a kind of like last minute celebratory, whatever, but it was really our first time having a meal indoors. And, and there's that weird readjustment, right? Like of, of being like, you know, we were, we were all vaccinated and we're, we're sitting there kind of thinking like uh, each one of us is looking at each other right. <laughs> We're like can we go should we yeah. do we need masks to go to yeah. the bathroom and then, you know like like you ask this question and at the at that moment in time when things had been you know looking as positive as as they were for for the kind of forward momentum it was like nope that's that decision is up to you and it just felt like yeah, exactly oh yeah. wow yeah, yeah. how did we do this before this, yeah. we really did this yeah all right, so here's my biggest question because we do have to get to fried chicken, right. and I do I do want to make sure we cover the topic yeah. of fried chicken. How did you How did you find this role of um, that you're that you're currently in, and how and how has it evolved since starting it? You, you know, I, it, it kind of all just came naturally. I, I, first, I'm sure as you've heard, you know, I work for the nicest people in the world, the most generous, nicest people, and I've been fortunate, you know, to work for. Wayne Chaplin and his family for 21 years. You know, when I started 21 years ago, I I really, they didn't, I mean, it was a mom and pop company. And, you know, 21 years later, even a multi-billion dollar company, it's still a mom and pop company in a lot of ways, which is very strange. But, you know, the ownership knows their people, even with 22,000 people. And I'm fortunate that I have direct access. You know, I report to the the CEO. So uh, obviously there's a, a, a close relationship there. Uh, when I started 21 years ago, I was really brought in to develop an events department. There was no events yeah. team. And, you know, in the industry, the wine and spirit industry, right. there's a zillion events and a, a zillion things you could support and a zillion different charities, especially right. with a family as generous as the chaplain. So I was really brought in to create an event team in Florida, just wow. Florida. Right. Then it developed into developing an event team for the company nationwide. Wow. Then it then I started, you know, then I built the South Beach Wine and Food Festival, which is now yes. 20 years. You're gonna have our 21st birthday in February this year. Come on. Yeah, 21st. I can't believe that. Yep, 21 years. It is an epic 
and amazing. And if anyone is listening who has not yet experienced what it is like to be in South Beach for the Wine and Food Festival, then I would say run, don't walk, planes, trains, automobiles. It's phenomenal. And then five years after I started the South Beach Festival, I created the New York City Wine and Food Festival. It's coming up in mid-October. And then about five, exactly five years ago, Southern Glazers combination with Glazers Wine and Spirits, which was another big size distributor. They weren't the big, you know, anywhere near the scale that Southern was, but, you know, Southern was the biggest before we had Glazers. Then we had Glazers. We were the biggest of the biggest. The biggest of the biggest is right. And, um, you know, I I, I received a phone call one morning from uh, Wayne Chaplin, you know, the CEO. And uh, he says, well, you know, a lot of people are going to have new responsibilities in this new company. And I think you should handle communications and uh, corporate social responsibility. I'm like, okay. Uh, and that's how it happened. <laughs> you know, I had to build a team. I had to figure out what right. it meant. I mean, I, I guess I had a background in media and media relations and yes. great partnerships. Um, but ter- formalizing it to handle internal, external, the internet, the developing corporate social responsibility for a company this size. It was a really, uh, you know, I'd almost say I should have paid them for the experience, but I won't say that. You have to remember what it is today than what it was five years ago. You know, there wasn't a focus five years ago on so many of the things that we're focused on today, which is diversity. I mean, diversity now is, you know, it always has been for this company, such an important thing, but Mm -hmm. it was just because this company always seems to do the right thing. But then, yeah. you know, over the years, you know, first it was women, then it was LGBT, then it was people of color, then it was Asian. So, I, I mean, mm-hmm. it's changed so much. I mean, five years ago, we weren't talking about people of color or people, I mean, in the same way that we are now. I mean, yeah. it's, and, and now it's just something that has to be addressed. And diversity in the workplace and equality is the most important thing. And that's a big focus in this company. And, um, you know, not only is it, it's in our blood. It's in mm. our DNA here at Southern doing the right thing. And, you know, we've really made great strides and, you know, being a diversified workplace, you know, the wine and spirit industry for years was thought of as the good old boy industry. When you think about something like wine and spirits, and then you expand the conversation about wine and spirits to wine, spirits and food, <laughs> you're really talking about the most diverse, the most interesting, the most unique um, and and variety of different backgrounds that you could possibly find in any um, specific corner of the world because you're in every corner of, of the course. world. So yeah. it really is so interesting and and so exciting. And what an exciting time to actually be working on this, right? Um, all right. So let's so let's get to chicken. I mean let's that's a quite a pivot from uh from corporate social responsibility, diversity and inclusion to chicken. So okay, first of all let me let's let's back up to walk through something. So we did we did cover the breakfast book, which I have to say is one of my all time favorites. We have we have two copies in this one apartment that we're in <laughs> because we each brought our copy right. to to our relationship. So so here we are in our Manhattan apartment with two copies of your book, which I will say uh, Michael has a little leg up on me. I think his is signed. That upset you don't leave the next time I see you. I think yours is exactly. exactly. It's not too late. But how did how did the book on fried chicken come to be. But also I have to say that I love, I love this title, which I, I wrote down just right in front of me for our listeners. It's, it's fried and true more than 50 recipes for America's best fried chicken and sides, which is an awesome, awesome cookbook idea, concept, everything soup to nuts. How did it start? What happened? How much chicken did you eat? 
And how long did it take you? (laughs) Well, here's how I had written my first book, uh, cookbook. Uh, It was called the Food Network South Beach Wine and Food Festival Cookbook. It was celebrating 10 years of my favorite recipes from my favorite chefs after celebrating 10 years of the festival, which I guess was 11 years ago. Um, And it was at the festival during the 11th, maybe it was the 10th anniversary of the festival and the book had just come out. And I, my public, we were at a brunch. It was a Trisha Yearwood brunch we were doing at the festival that we do every year. And I was talking to my publisher and Trisha Yearwood walked over. I had just walked into the room and we were talking and we were talking. Um, I said to her, have you tried Art Smith's fried chicken over in the corner? Uh, It was a, a big brunch with dozens of chefs and Art Smith had the best food, the best fried chicken. And I said to Trisha and uh, to my publisher, Emily Takudis, I said, have you tried Art Smith's chicken? It's the best thing here. Then we all started telling our favorite fried chicken stories. And Trisha said, oh, you should really write a book on fried chicken. And I kind of said, oh, that's a fun idea. And that was it. And a few days later, after the festival, my publisher called me. My publisher, uh, I had a three-book deal with Clarkson Potter, a division of Random House. And she said, you know what? That's a great idea. You should really do that. You're so passionate about fried chicken. And that was how the fried chicken (laughs) book came about. It was the most fun book. <laughs> that was how the fried chicken came to be. Yep. Thanks wow. to Trisha Yearwood. What? Oh, wow, Trisha Yearwood. Okay, Sh- Trisha, if you're listening, thank you for the chicken. Thank you, Trisha, I mean, for my dividend checks. What was the process of of kind of deciding, first of all, what made it versus what didn't make it? What's the process of recipe development? Um, and, and what, which, how much of it was, okay, I'm going to play around with these because I already know about X number of fried chicken recipes and how much of it was like, let me outsource and see what people come up with and share with me. Well, none of the recipes in any of the books are my recipes. They're all from right, somebody right. else. Okay. Okay. So what we did is, um, we started doing investigating, you know, I worked with the same, uh, co-author Adina Sussman, who's written mm. all three books with me before. I recommended her to Chrissy Teigen. Now she's read, written three best-selling cookbooks for Chrissy, so I can no longer afford wow. Adina. But Adina's one of my Shots. best friends. The downsides. Yeah. The Adina, downsides. Uh, Adina's one of my best friends. She lives <laughs> in Tel Aviv. And uh, we started, you know, we, we partnered on the book. We started doing investigating. We use social media to ask people, what was your favorite fried chicken? Same thing I've done with, you know, the breakfast book. Uh, yeah. Same thing how I did the breakfast book. And we we kind of mapped out where the part of the country, which clearly was the South, that we found to have the best fried chicken, although everyone has great fried chicken, you know, all over the country, wow. not just, you know, Florida. It's not just the South. And we kind of did a tour of the South. We went from, you know, Alabama to Louisiana to, you know, Amazing. you name it, Texas to South Carolina, North Carolina. We traveled all over trying the best fried chicken. And, you know, using Instagram and social media for people to tell us, Hey, we're in uh, Georgia today. We're in, you know, we're in Atlanta who has the best fried chicken. Um, When people, I'm just occurred to me, Lee, that when people hear this, are they like, I've, are they seething with jealousy? Like like, (laughs) you're like, listen, my work is to test different fried chicken. Uh, multiple times a day around the Southern part of America. Would you, would you say people say to you, damn it, 
<laughs> so a lot of times people would say, hey, if you're heading over to, uh, you know, Gurney's, uh, you know, uh, I love I'll meet that. you there. Yeah, I, I love that. that. That's all the time. just so, sure. so, yeah. I mean, that really is the the whole purpose. And it's also the whole purpose as our listeners know of the of this podcast, which is talking about food as the, the ultimate connector and the most celebratory, most, you know, multi-definition version of what nourishment really is, which is, you know, having shared connections with people and places and to the food that we love and love to enjoy together. Um, So on that note, what would you say is a secret ingredient that's kind of lesser known about fried chicken? The oil. The oil? Yeah. Really? Uh What kind of oil? Uh, It depends. There are different oils, but you know, uh, different oils give different flavors to chicken. The right temperature oil. Having the right temperature makes a big difference. Having the right oil, you know, whether you're using a combination of vegetable oil and lard or you know, wow. canola oil, there's lots of different, you know, options to Interesting. use. Uh, but I would say the important thing with fried chicken is the right oil. Okay. Right se- seasoned chicken. Okay. And hot oil. Right oil, right hot seasoning. Oil and seasoning, yeah. And temperature of Some the oil. Some of the best fried okay. chicken that I had was the simplest fried chicken. Uh, yes, that I, was going to be my next question. I, I, I wow. remember, okay. you know, one of the first stops we did uh, was in New Orleans. I'm trying to remember the name of the restaurant. God, I'll, I'll think of it when I get off the phone. But it was a, a hole-in-the-wall restaurant. We uh, we drove up to this restaurant. I think it was day one. And we drove up to this restaurant. And we go into this bar in New Orleans, like in one of the outer parishes. And, like, there's somebody sleeping on a pool table. There are, like, drunk people in the corner. <laughs> Uh, and I'm like, we're looking for so-and-so. And I don't, I don't remember the name of the chefs, but it was the name of, it, it was his restaurant or his bar. Wow. And he kind of was in the kitchen and we went back there and it was a thousand degrees, a hot, really nothing kitchen. Um, and I'll tell you, he, it was the best fried chicken of the trip. It, and it was very, wow. very simple. And he taught me something that I'd never heard before. That What's that? Fried chicken has to be cold. So his fried chicken, and I, I want to look at the name of that. Uh, his fried chicken was, he took it right out of the refrigerator. It was ice cold. Wow. He dipped it in flour that was seasoned and he fried it. And that was it. It was not wow. lined. It was not any fancy seasonings. It was just cold fried chicken seasoned correctly in hot oil. And it was the best. Amazing. It was amazing. That's such an interesting yep. little tip right there. That's um, I'm, ri- I'm literally writing this yep. down for myself so that I <laughs> – Cold, that it has to be cold in the fridge. Yep. That's interesting. What, any other highlights to share? Oh, God, there were so, – I mean, I, mean I, can, I can't imagine that there's not a highlight. Oh, no, I, I sort of feel sure. like that's I mean, asking such yeah. a difficult question, but – Yeah. And then I think another highlight, obviously, um, we had tried desperately to get Popeye's to do something with us. Popeye's has the best fried chicken. Right. Popeye's refused to allow us an interview. And we haunted the CEO at that time for for months (laughs) to do it. And again, we were in New Orleans because they were Louisiana based. And just by chance, we emailed the guy like we had arrived. He said, "Okay, you can come over tomorrow for like a half hour and I'll talk to you after months. He agreed to Amazing. it. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. We went over there and he was lovely and we kind of told him what we were doing. And, you know, when you're in person, it's a lot different. Totally. He, he brought out his corporate chef and they took us into their test kitchen and they let us make the chicken with them. We didn't know the ingredients because they wouldn't tell us the ingredients. 
meaning they were all there was nothing was labeled. So whatever spices were coming out. But uh, in the chapter in my in my Fried and True book, there's a whole chapter on Popeyes with that story and how I had a famous chef wow. recreate the Popeyes recipe. Wow. Yeah. So this is wait, but so this so the recreation happened as a result of you describing no. it rather than no. Okay. There was a chef in New, Wiley Dufresne in New York City. Okay. Loved Popeyes fried chicken, and he heard our story, that. and he said, "Oh, he can duplicate it." And he duplicated, I mean, pretty close, I think, for my cookbook. And it's a whole chapter in the book about Popeyes and, you know, how this famous chef duplicated the recipe. That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. I also feel like the fact that you were able to, I really thought you were going to say when you started telling the story, I thought you were going to say that you ran into the CEO in like in a Popeye's or like in a coffee shop or right. No, but I'll <laughs> tell you, you something walking down the street. equally as exciting about a year and a half ago, a friend of mine here in South Florida um, introduced me to the CEO of Popeye's. They had moved to Miami. Popeye's Whoa. is now headquartered in the, in the Miami and Papa, I became very friendly with this CEO and they've become a big sponsor of our festival. And last year at our big opening night party with the chain smokers, that Martha Stewart was hosting, Popeyes did the food. That's everything about that. The combination of the chain smokers, Martha Stewart, and Popeyes. It was the best party ever. Opening. <laughs> For the 20th Wait. anniversary. Yeah. True story. That's fantastic. Yep. Wait, how are we going to top it this year? I don't know. I uh, mean, there, there's a way. I mean, if you, knowing you, there's absolutely a way. There's definitely the sky's the limit. We will right. do it. We will okay. absolutely do it. Yeah. All right. We got to get to our last question because yeah. I know that our last question is going to be a an epic, a feast, if you will, yeah. pun intended. So in your dreams, like like Il, Il Pelicano aside, right. in your dreams, your perfect day of eating, if, if travel was not an issue, right? Like if you could just create a day of the best meals from your favorite places, whether that's, that's something that you make at home, something that is um, made out of, you know, corn conditioner, as I like to say, whatever it is, your perfect day of meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, cocktails, dessert, tell us. Well, it would definitely be breakfast at Pelicano. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's on lock. Yeah, we would, got that one. It would for be sure. breakfast at Pelicano. It would probably be a beach club in Greece, like Ooh, Prin- yes. Principote or Jackie O Beach Club in Greece. It would probably be late afternoon sunset cocktails in the Amalfi at the Syracuse yes. Hotel. Oh, heavenly. Heavenly. Yeah. Okay. And it would probably be dinner in Chianti at Dario Ciccini's restaurant. What And what is the name? I don't know, but if you, okay. the restaurant is called Dadio. His name is Dadio okay. Ciccini, C-E-C-C-H-I-N-I. And if you Google world famous Italian butcher, his name will come up. Perfect. There all, we go. He has an all meat restaurant, like 15 courses. You sit wow. outside on paper, you eat off of uh, plastic tables and chairs, and it's the best food ever. So that and would that's be in Chianti. That's okay. in Chianti, the most beautiful setting overlooking the world. Uh, oh. And I, I, it doesn't get better than that. So I think we went from uh, Italy, we would go Italy, Greece, Amalfi, Italy. Ah, so I guess you yes. can say I love Italy. Yeah, we just stayed Mediterranean. We kept it Mediterranean. We yeah. kept it Mediterranean. So what, and what would be the cocktail order at La Sierra News? 
Ooh, I, you know, I have a summer drink. I'm a big pimp okay. drinker. I love Ooh. I love a pimp's cup. Lee, uh, that's very British yes, of you. I, I love it. I love a pimp cup. <laughs> I also like a well-made Aperol spritz. And I happen to love yes. a, a new a, a Aperol just came out with a spritz in a bottle called Spritz. So they're selling these wow. little mini like Coke bottles filled with Aperol spritz. They're fabulous. That's very yeah. cute. Oh, that yeah. is definitely something I will probably be trying later today. Yeah. Okay. And what about what about dessert? We didn't get a dessert involved there. Is there a gelato happening after our Chianti dinner meal? Yes. Yes. I'm trying to think. After Chianti, we would probably drive into Florence and go to my favorite, which is only like a 45-minute drive from there, and would go to my favorite gelato store, which I've been going to shop for 30 years and don't know the name. Oh, no, I know. You know, it's funny that you say that because I was literally just thinking about this the other day. Any type of ice cream, whether it's ice cream, custard, gelato, uh, frozen yogurt, sometimes soft serve, you know, like any, you name it. I love a nice little cold nighttime delight. I just feel like there's nothing better than, than a great scoop. But especially with gelato, if someone were to ask me that question, I really don't know what my I could tell you the flavor I normally like, which, which is, is pistachio. Pistachio. Okay. Minus stracciatella. Yes. I mean that would that's always up there because I really feel like stracciatella and and pistachio to some degree, and sometimes like a a hazelnut are like the way to tell if it's great. You know what I mean? Like it, like you know. And yeah, it's kind I, I of love like a Nutella gelato. I love it, you know. Uh, right? Yeah, I love that. I, oh. and I do love pistachio. My favorite pistachio gelato is at the crow's nest in Montauk. They have I love the crow's they nest. have the best what? pistachio gelato. It's made locally in town in Montauk. They will not tell me who makes it. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's fabulous. Wow, that's such a good pro tip. Lee, I love the crow's nest. Who knew that they had an amazing pistachio gelato? Amazing. That's fantastic. Yeah, really amazing. Okay. All right. So before I let you go, in our last one minute, we're going to do a quick rapid fire round of things. And you'll just say the first thing that comes Got into it. your mind. Okay. Real quick. And then I will, I will absolutely bid you adieu. Or, <laughs> all right. So best pizza you've ever had in your life. Mine at my house and my Marifornia. Love that. Love that. I was hoping you would say that. All right. Most overrated food trend. Pork belly. Ooh, yes. That's such a good one. Okay. Random condiment you always have in your fridge or just seem to have in your fridge for any reason. Dijon mustard. <laughs> what do you do? Multiple types yeah. of mustard. I, I rarely a, use mustard. Right. It is. Yeah. yeah, I know. But what's it doing there? It just like, I make the, I, I make vinaigrette time. dressing a lot. Right. <laughs> I like lamb, roasted rack of lamb, and I cover it in the Dijon mustard. I love that. Wow. Love that. Um, All right. If you got, if you were about to do a taste test of, of whatever it is that you wanted to do, it's a taste test of one type of food. You're going to try multiple different recipes besides fried chicken. What's next? Besides fried chicken? I'm sure it would coconut cake. Ooh, great answer. Who has your favorite coconut cake right now? Uh, Cindy Lou's in Miami. Wow. And she's opening up in New York, so get ready. Cindy Luce. I'm getting yeah. <laughs> I'm getting ready. She's opening up Lee in New York. New York, New York. That's fantastic. Yeah. Lee, thank you so much for being it's here. This was pleasure, so much fun. Let's do and it so again. delicious. And I can't wait to do it again. Thank you. Thank you. This was such a treat. 
Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jacqueline London RD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better, one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers.